Know this? Introducing the original Blood Clad Podcast, not PS. Told in semantic. Special dedication all the way from New York. Boom! Yeah, man, SWOT semantic. Yeah, man, oh. Boom! Soothing semantic. Yeah, man, oh. Big up, sir, man. Soothing semantic. Welcome to another episode of the Soothing Semantics Podcast. I am your host, Rafi Pinsky. Subscribe, like, smash the like button, leave your comments, and here we go. Welcome it. welcome to the show, Shane Santa Croce. Yeah, pretty, pretty damn close, yeah. Santa Croce. Santa Croce. Yeah. Okay, it's, a, yeah, it's Italian, right? It's Italian, yep. Okay, it's so much cooler than my name, man. <laughs> I got I got Italian on the father's side of the family, but I took the mother's the mother's name. My parents never got married, so it's uh, Pinsky. It's Polish. So my name, my first name, you know, my, my full name is Shane Thomas Santa Croce, which is should be very Italian. But my um, my mom saw the movie Shane, and that's why I got that name. Not exactly, not exactly popular with my grandfather at the time. What do you mean? Not exactly popular. Well, Shane is a very Irish name, very Irish. And back, if you you know go back several. Several years, the Irish and Italians didn't get along so well in New York. So oh, for sure. They, uh, when uh, his first grandson came home with a very Irish name, he wasn't thrilled about it. <laughs> what are you going to do? I, I but you saw the movie with Earl Flynn, fell in love with Earl Flynn, and that was it. No Anthony, no Vinny, no Uvaldo after my grandfather, and we ended up with Shane. Fair enough. No, but the last name is very cool. It would be Salvatore Santa Croce or something. That would be, <laughs> be something. So, yeah. So, so, ladies and gentlemen, Shane... Shane and I met at a networking event that he put together uh, for a title company. Mm-hmm. We met at uh, Top Golf. I suck shit at golf, but we're uh, we're getting there. I had a couple of good good uh, putts. What do we call it? A couple, a couple good, good drinks. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good time. So we a lot of a lot of people there. It was a great event. And I checked Shane out on Instagram. I saw he had a, quite a large following, and uh, he knows Michael Sartain, who I recently had on the podcast. Shout out to you, you crazy dude. And uh, so so Shane. Does you you have a networking uh, uh, a marketing company, mm-hmm. right? You have a sales business. You also do. You said you're you're working on a podcast. Are you currently doing the podcast? Yeah. So I, I started a podcast a little while ago. We just I want to try to get 10, 15 episodes in the can before I make it uh, before I you know publish it, but make it happen with Chains and a Crochet. So it'll be on YouTube soon, and uh, it's just gonna be open format. We're gonna be talking about uh, really anything. I'm gonna let people write in and tell me what they want to speak about. So we'll do some financial stuff. I'll have some of the models on regularly. Um, politics, like I'm open to talking about anything. So sounds should awesome. be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm happy to tune in. I will give it a subscribe. Make sure to subscribe, guys. I'll, I'll post that when it's up. So so go into, this is what I like to do with people who are, who are very successful, is I like to take things a little bit further back All to right. their upbringing. Because yeah. for me, I have a very interesting story. We'll, we'll go into that. This is, <clears throat> this is, gonna, this is about you. But I'll I'll get I'll go into that at, a, at another to- another point. What was your upbringing like? Did you grow up in Florida? Give us a bit of a yeah. So my <laughs> I have a very interesting story, right? So years, baby. Um, I was actually originally born in Florida. Uh, most of my family was is from New York and New Jersey. So uh, at one point in my life, later on, I used to travel back and forth, and uh, we would spend like the the summer seasons, the summer months in either South Jersey or New York, and then come back down here, you know, for the winters. So I got a, a really good um, perspective of how both people lived. And when I say both people, it is a very different 
world when you when you live in New York, the mentality of individual up there, the the sense of loyalty back then anyway, now it might be a little bit different. The work ethic was drastically different. So I had what I would consider a up north mentality when it came to work ethic. So I was able to really thrive down here in South Florida. It is because I didn't have any competition. If I was in the industry, you're going to be hard pressed to beat me, right? Um, but anyway, I was born down here. My mom was a single mom. Uh, my dad was a typical alcoholic, drug addict, you know, wannabe rock star. Very, very, very talented, but uh, drugs kind of took control of his life. And, uh, you know, we had nothing. We lived in, in the projects, we lived in the trailer parks, lived in my mom's car when I was 12. I uh, didn't like that too much. So um, started working at 12 years old, man. And um, what'd you do? I actually started as a dishwasher at the Arrowhead Deli in Davie. I'll never forget it. And the guy there, this Greek guy I worked for, I mean, hard ass dude, like just yelling and screaming every day, all day. And I come in one day after being there for about a month, just washing dishes and none of the cooks showed up. I guess the night before he had just bitched everybody out and they're like, well, fuck you. I'm not coming to work. Nobody showed up. So it's him and it's me washing dishes. He's like, I need help. You got to get out of here. You got to get out of here. So I'm like, all right, what? So he literally, within five minutes, showed me how to flip an egg with a pan, which to this day, I can't even use a damn spatula because I learned how to flip eggs with a pan and like how to make like pancakes with the little thing. And uh, that was it, man. I, I just, I hopped on the grill and I started cooking and I he, guess he was impressed because I never went back to the kitchen again or to the dishwasher again after that day. So at this point, I'm like, you know, 12 and a half, 13 years old cooking at this relatively busy, you know, restaurant breakfast restaurant and uh bringing home money you know so it was it was it was a very interesting beginning to my understanding of money you know right? you remind me you remind me kind of how my childhood was to some degree i didn't start working at 12 i started at 15 i was a waiter for about eight years and i grew up with my grandmother she raised me uh-huh. my parents were never in the picture never met them my my father yeah Similarly, grew up very poor. I didn't live in a trailer or a car. My grandmother didn't have a car. But I was also in the food business for for the early teenage years. Yeah. It's interesting. So long story short, I did that. Then we would go up to New Jersey. So at 13, I got a job at a place called uh, Gateway 26. But in New Jersey, you could work in the summertime for 20 hours a week, but you had to be 14 years old. And I'm like, I had my job down South Florida. I can't get anybody here to hire me. You know, like, what the hell do I do? So I made a fake birth certificate. I remember my birthday's in May, so I had just recently turned 13. And uh, I started working, and like six, eight weeks in, they call me in to the office, Marty and Brian, Brian Sharp and, and Marty, great people, call me in, they're like, listen, you're one of the best employees we have here. And uh, some ha- something happened where I caught somebody like running a scam on, it was like an arcade casino, right? And nobody else caught it, he'd been running it for years. And I caught them at 13 years old. But he's like, look, man, you know, your birth certificate is fake and we, we can't keep you working here anymore. We have to fire you. He goes, but next year, come back and, you know, you're, you have a job. We're not happy with what you did, but you have a job. So I ended up going back up there, working there every year, every summer for, you know, probably until I was like 18, 19 years old, something like that, before I got in trouble, really. And um, so I always had that, and then I always had something else going on. So I always had kind of my own little business. When I was in South Florida, in the trailer park, I went uh, and bought myself a little lawnmower with my paycheck one day, and I would just door to door every day after school and on the weekends, just knocking on doors. I kind of cut you off for twenty bucks, no, fifteen. Like, what's it going? You know, ten, whatever. And I just didn't stop. And probably, 
I would say about, I, by the time I was 15. How long I, did it take you to mow the lawn? How long did it take you to make the 20 bucks? Man, back then, you know, it depends, right? Because we're, we're, we're talking about a trailer park. So I, I live in Parkland now. You know, we have these huge lots. But, I mean, it, it would probably take me realistically 30 minutes. And I was, like, real big on making sure I, had a, I did a good job. So I didn't have, like, a weed eater like that. So I would literally hand pick like, the edges of those things will look nice for them when they come outside. And um, by the time I was 15, basically every one of my friends was working for me. I had a bunch of lawnmowers, and this was the, my first business sale. I what, And again, looking back, you know, the guy compl- I wish I knew the guy's name because I would love to knock on his door and shake his hand right now uh, because it did shape a lot of my career moving forward this particular time. But you're talking about taking advantage of me. I lived in a, a in this trailer park in, off of... Um, of a red road, right? And I mean, I was probably mowing a couple hundred yards a month at this point, right? So it was wow. a big account. All my friends were working for me, <laughs> literally walking around the neighborhood with the lawnmowers. They come to my shed every day, pick up the lawnmower. How many people do you, how many guys did you have working for you? At that time, I probably had eight to 12, depending on the day, you know, cutting wow. grass, right? But you were, tr- but you were taking a cut. Obviously, yeah, I was just so paying much. them. You know what I mean? Like if it was 20 bucks, I gave them five to 10, depending. I provide the lawnmower, I provide the gas, I provide the client, right? So somebody could do, I mean, they could do 10 a day on a weekend, but, you know, they'd come after school, they'd cut five yards and I'd give, they'd make 25 to 50 bucks or something like that. And they were happy, right? And, um, but I ended up selling that business to this guy who came like a landscape guy and he was going around trying to get the business. And they're like, no, Shane cuts the grass, you know, Shane cuts the grass. So he ends up finding out who I am, and he says, you know, I'll buy your business. And he says, I'll give you $3,500. So I was like, $3,500 right now. And I'm like, okay, like I'm doing pretty good, but I didn't have any financial literacy at this age, right? Yeah. So I made money, and I spent money. Like My mom didn't have it. So, you know, I would help my mom out. I would want to buy nice clothes, and I'd want to go to freaking Grand Prix Razorama. So, you know, I was spending money stupidly. So to have 3500 in my hand was like a big deal. And I took that 3500 and I bought a trailer with it, right? Uh, for thirty five hundred bucks, every dollar I had, and then I had some some other money left over of my own. I fixed up and I sold it for like I think twelve thousand dollars, something like that. And that was my first real estate transaction. And now I have, I think I'm how old I'm you rich. Had, how old you I was fifteen. Fifteen. Damn, dude. But I thought I was the richest man alive. Twelve thousand dollars was unbelievable, right? Dude, it's have twelve grand at twelve at fifteen oh, years old. It's bro. Like, yeah. And um, especially back in the day before we had all this Instagram. Of course, media. you had no idea. And I lived in a trailer park, so. You know, I literally bought a trail for thirty five hundred bucks. So to to make twelve thousand dollars, it was, it was it was just crazy. So how'd you do all the fixing at that age? How'd you come myself up with all the? I just I you know I needed paint. I, I just figured it out. I'd make it happen. I would ask a neighbor to borrow a hammer. Or I'd, I'd go buy a bucket of paint or I'd borrow from something. like whatever I had to do. Like no matter what in life, that's one thing that I realized is a lot of people would say, "My God, how are you so unlucky? How do all these bad things?" And I could tell you a lot of shit that happened in my life that you would be surprised, but. How are you so unlucky? I was sitting myself. Dude, I'm actually uh, not. Have a quick. And by the way, if, it, if it's easier for you to leave it here. Yeah. Salute. Was, yeah, yeah, salute, man. Cheers. So, um, now I have this money. And it kind of got around the neighborhood a little bit that I had money. So, one of the things I used to do at that age as well, when I was in, um, in school, would, I would like sell candy and shit in, in middle school, which turned into weed, right? And probably some other things that I, I won't necessarily admit on camera here, but <laughs> definitely got to some real shady shit at this age, right? Because now I had money. Right. So uh, I always had like a job that I was working. Then I always had like my side hustles and my own little business. Like, I always had so much going on at all times. I always had to be busy and I always had to bring in money. That was always my big thing. But it brought me a lot of trouble. 
So I started hanging out with the wrong people. I started getting, you know, doing stupid nonsense. And uh, right around 2000, I got sentenced, you know, for some, uh, some pretty serious crime, a bunch of felonies, credit card fraud and forgery and a, and a bunch of stuff like that, burglary in New Jersey, which all have pretty interesting stories behind them if you, if you want to unpack that. But, Shit, you know, I got, to, I got time, bro. We're <laughs> sitting here. It gave me um, a pretty, you know, colorful record, to say the least, right? And also, I had my first kid at 18. Do you mind telling, do you mind talking about the burglary a little bit? Because that got me. Like that. Yeah, you know, so... <laughs> And again, just go to show like when you're a kid, you just do the dumbest shit ever, right? <laughs> so this is a true story. And the gentleman I was working for, um, I don't know if Mormon is a derogatory term these days, but he was known as a Mormon back then. I think it's now the Church of Latter-day Saints or whatnot. But um, he ran a cab company in Villas, New Jersey. Uh, it was a very small company. It was, he had, it was his car, right? And he would run this cab service between there and Wildwood. If anybody knows South Jersey, you know what I'm talking about. So uh, he hires me to do this. I'm 18 years old. Actually, I wasn't even 18 yet. I might have been 17 at this at this point. So he hires me to work for him. And um, one day I pick up these these dancers from an entertainment club, and they they tip me like whatever it was. I don't, I don't really remember exactly the the amount of money, but ultimately he had given me back the extra money because it was supposed to be a tip. I'm like, okay, thank you. Like a week and a half later, I guess he didn't put it in the books, and he accused me of stealing two dollars right i'm pissed off like come on bro like seriously you know what i mean i'm giving handing you hundreds of dollars a night and you, i mean two dollars so i'm pissed but whatever it is what it is i'll get another job and i was also working at the did you, did you take the two dollars i don't I even know if i did be frank with you but why would i you know what i mean i'm pretty sure i didn't he gave me the two dollars what actually happened and, and i remember it was two dollars it wasn't 30 it was fucking two dollars and he gave it to me because he thought it was part of the girl's tip that i remember and um so now I'm fucking furious because he started going around the town. It was a small town telling everybody that I was a thief and I robbed him, right? Right, right, right? Now, we're talking about $2. So he didn't say that part, right? So now people come like, oh, I heard you robbed so-and-so. I'm like, robbed who? What are you talking about? And it just got around to me that this son of a bitch was going around telling people that I stole $2, right? I'm like, all right, you want to know what it's like to get robbed? No fucking problem. So one night, I... um. I've already been convicted of this, so you can't report me, sorry. But, um, you know, I just I went to his house. And he was, uh, he'd always leave his door, but he didn't believe in banks. So, I don't know if it was part of his religion or whatever, but he didn't put money in the bank. And I didn't know how much money he actually had at his house. But this man, like, had half a million dollars in his house, right? So, I go there one day, and he's out on a run, and I didn't know his parents were in the house. They were sleeping, oh, right? So, they had a burger and occupied dwelling, which makes it even that much worse. So I go in and I know he would have these like shoe boxes full of money. So I just grab a shoe box and I'm out. You know what I mean? Like now you know it's like to be robbed. So you're a different kind of Santa. You were a different kind of Santa pretty much. A hundred percent, right? Santa. <laughs> no witnesses. So I go in and I grab a shoebox and like a bag. Or long story short, I end up being like thirty something thousand dollars. Fuck, fuck is right because now I'm like, well, I just really, really committed a big fucking crime, right? So I knew now, like shit. You did this alone? Or you did? This? I did this completely alone. Whoa, right? So I'm like, fuck, man. Now what? Well, now I just gotta keep it quiet. Don't spend any money. Like, just I can't go bring it back to him. You know what I mean? But whatever. I'm like, screw it. It is what it is. You accuse me now. That's your price you pay, right? So now, fast forward like maybe a year later, and he calls the cops. The cops think he's lying, 
They don't investigate because they think it's full of shit. What, what do you mean you have 30,000? You live in the, in the hood, in the villas, and you got 30-something thousand. So now he seems shady. Now he seems shady as shit. So keeps up with the rumors, keeps up with the rumors, keeps running his mouth. And then one of my friends, and I, I, w- I wish I could remember this kid's name because his father was a cop. And if any of my guys from New Jersey remember this, I never told any about this, but here's the truth. He called me when they got a girl pregnant, had no money to get, to get an abortion. We were teenagers. So I'm like, don't worry, I know I can get money. I'll help you out, right? We're gonna go back to this guy's house. He's run his mouth, he didn't learn his lesson. Fuck it, let's go. Drive me here, I had him park somewhere, drop me off, and went to the backyard. But now he's got a security system. He's got a fucking door, like a metal door now. Like you could just open all this shit. So now I gotta be like cat burglar, you know what I mean? And I thought, and again, at this point, those parents have moved out. So like an idiot, I end up breaking to the guy's house again. <laughs> and I steal this money again. And um, you gotta make a movie, Eddie, man. Well, here's what's crazy about it. We get away with it. On that night, on the kid's way home, he gets pulled over. And he thinks he's getting pulled over for what we had just done. And his dad was a cop. The guy freaks out and just tells him everything right there on the spot. They come pick me up and arrest me. Kid never spends a day in jail. And that's how that whole thing, all over $2. So I was completely wrong and a complete stupid move that I made to do this kind of shit. But that's what it is, man. That's what I did. That's how the whole thing played out. And, you know, I, I think back to I allowed my emotion, that anger, to get to be so much that I scarred my life. You know what I mean? I, I end up getting locked up in, in not the best of places. Um, then years later, nothing came out of it. So I just, you know, I didn't know anything about the legal system. I hire an attorney and I don't hear nothing. I don't have any court dates, nothing. I'm not in jail. I'm just, I bonded out and whatever. So years later, I'm down in Florida and I, I do something stupid. I got wrapped up in some credit card fraud shit at a, in my early teens and I ran all the way through until I turned 18. Shortly after my 18th birthday, I get a phone call from Miami-Dade Police Department. Hey, come down. We got some questions for you. And also, that's, that's literally what they said verbatim. That's it. We got some questions for you. If you don't come down, we're gonna come pick you up. I said, all right, I'll come down. No, no, I had no idea, right? So I go down there. Well, you, you when you, you assume that that might have been what it was about, right? Somewhat, yeah. But you know, you obviously. Not I knew that like, they hey, had hey, nothing. Is it the fraud? Is that what it is? No, no. I knew. What I didn't know is they had nothing on me. Right. So I get there and they have something on my girlfriend at the time. So Elena, if you're watching, Elena Ullman, they had something on her. Elena Ullman, is she Jewish? She, I know her parents were. She's like a photographer. Very good person. Nothing bad to say about her, but. No, I was just saying it's a joke. Okay. She, um, they had something on her. And the ploy to me was, you sign this agreement, take accountability, and she'll never spend a day in jail. And I thought it was like the love of my life. So I did that. You know what I mean? And um, I signed $364.83. I'll never forget that number. Just pay this today. That's how much she signed for. You'll be gone. Okay, no problem. Call my mom. Hey, bring me this money. Here's what's going on. Da, da, da. Again, stupid ass move here to trust the detective. Scumbag he was. So uh, I do it. I sign. I pay. And he comes back in. Hey, man, I'm so sorry. But um, the assistant prosecutor is not going to agree to let, me, let you go for two reasons. Number one, they want to charge you with additional crimes. And you have outstanding issues in New Jersey. So you have an extradition warrant. I'm like, what? There's no way. What are you talking about? And we're going back years prior. So I'm like, there's just no way. I got arrested. I went to jail. Like, yeah, but you never got sentenced for your crime. I'm like, well, what does that mean? You know? How did you not get sentenced though? Like, because that- I just got out on bond, but I never went back to a court. Day. Apparently there was a court. Day. I was never noticed because I left the state of New Jersey. Right? So here I am. They put me in Dade County Jail on the fifth floor of Dade County Jail. So who else is there? Everyone else with no bond. You know how many 135-pound white kids there were on the fifth floor of Dade County Jail? 
Not a lot, okay? So it was a pretty rough environment. You, we were in a dorm setting, not a private cell. There was 13 bunks, one shower, two toilets, and four phones. 26 grown-ass men and me, right? And I was not a grown-ass man at this age, you know, nor was I had any experience to, to deal with what I had to deal with in this place. And I did get lucky. Tyrone, man, I don't know if he's still alive or not, but shout out because that man looked out. But um, it was rough, man. I, I, I always tell this story because it's so insane to me. The very first day I walk in, when you walk in, they open the door, they put you inside like a cage. They shut the door behind you, then they open up the, the cage to cell, and then you're inside the cell. That's it. You're in, you're in your house. That's it. So it's me and this other guy who which is like six foot four, massive monster of a man. And uh, the house man comes up to me. He's like, listen, here's the rules. You guys can go take a shower, wash your ass, wash your feet, put your slides to the table. We'll sign you a bunk and we'll tell you the house rules. And the man goes, yo, fuck you, man. What? I'm the new man in this motherfucker. I'm the new man. I just started running his mouth. He goes, that's my fucking bunk. Get his, all, get his ass off. I run shit now. Y'all don't know me. And just start going and going. I'm like, man, what is going on right now? And I'm just standing on my bag of, of belongings, right? Like, is this fucking happening to me right now? Yeah, you're Which, like a you're like a virgin in a brothel, bro. Like, I no, I mean, on? and again, everybody with me, these were all guys with no bond, right? Murderer. I mean, my bunkie was a murderer. Already did 19 years in prison, and was back because he killed either another. I think he killed another CO or another inmate, and was getting sentenced again, right? He was just down for prison, getting resentenced. So these were the people I, I spend his time with, and um, I just remember the guy looking at the shower and said, "Strap up." And the shower curtains open up, and this looked like a pickup truck of a fist comes flying out and hits this man in his head. Blah. And when I tell you, he hit him so hard, and I'm not exaggerating, he knocked his ear off of his head. So the man was on the floor, and the ear was over there. He literally knocked his ear, a chunk of his ear, off of his head. Right? Why do you even do that? Didn't want to find out, I can tell you that. So he's there, and the, and the guy looks at me, and he's like, look, you had, you had any objections to the rules? I'm like, look, I'll take a shot. But I'm not going with him. You know what I mean? Then everybody kind of started laughing. I'm like, no, 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 no. I ain't like that. But you go in next. You feel me? Like, we don't get down like that in the cell. <sighs> Thank God. You know what I mean? So 20 minutes later, this guy wakes up. He's like, pick up your ear. Pick up your shit. Go knock out. And he's there at the, at the door for like 45 minutes waiting for a CO to walk by and let him out of the cell to go to, you know, to infirmary. But I take a shower. I sit down. And he starts going to rules and everything. I'm like, man. I'm like, let's be real. I got no shot in here, bro. Let's, what's the deal? Except nobody's bitch, you know what I mean? Like, kill me, you know what I mean? If, if that's what you guys have planned or, or anybody, like, I'm not going out like that. Like, what's what's going on? And he's like, look. Like, real quick, just to interject, bro. Mm -hmm. I am much more, and it, the, a fear, I think, for any guy is much more about being fucking, you know, plugged, plugged oh, in the yeah. hole. And it happened in that place a lot. You know, it's like, I, this is why I always know God has looked out for me. And I don't know if you're religious or not. You want to call it a higher power, God, Allah, whoever you believe in, somebody had my back. Because just the next cell over, every night, this, you'll never hear a scream like you hear a, a scream of a man. It is, and I'm a, I'm a kid. I'm a kid at this point. The most horrifying sounds you could have. We, we, my first night, I thought it was a TV next door. Oh my God. Right? It was that bad, but... The guy's like, look, man, go in the yard. I want to see that you're not a bitch. Handle, you know, you're not afraid to use your hands. And, you know, $20 a week, commissary, you're straight. I'm like, done. And I became really good friends with these people. And I'll never forget the day. Like, Tyrone, who was my bunkie. And, um, Who'd you mean to connect with, though? Did you connect more with the black guys? Were they Italian guys? Or the, the well, th there was no choice. I was, I was in a bunk. I mean, I was in a, in a dorm with all the black guys. It was me and 
25 black men, big, you know, I mean, these guys, for the majority of them, which is, was so crazy to me to, uh, to experience that, their charges were so violent. Right. But some of the nicest people, most loyal people I've ever met in my life. I, I mean, if I, I wish that I could go back and interview T right now because the most intellectual and intelligent person I think I've ever encountered was that man. So what? Hardcore, so hardcore hell, murderer. So what the hell pushed him to do that? You know, he just didn't like disrespect. You, you know That's what I it. think it is? I think in some fucked up way, a lot of them, if they were able to control their emotions, would be in very, very good places, some of them. Yeah, I think it, for them, there's people... For instance, if there was, a, there was a UFC fighter, I don't know why the hell I'm forgetting his name because I knew you, UFC fairly well. Cain Velasquez. Oh, yeah, Cain. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so he just he, he just tried to shoot somebody who yeah. either touched his daughter or someone, or someone in his family. Yeah, like his niece or something like that. Any of bro. If, like, let, let's, I can't let's, say, uh, you know, free Cain, man, like... There's one thing I don't tolerate. No, 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 no. That, no. You know, so. I'm, I'm agreeing with him. That's what I'm saying. Like, like how if, can you not? How do you control your emotions there? Bro? Like, if I, any guy with half a nutsack, and there are men that are pussies that wouldn't do anything, which is crazy to me. But if, I mean, dude, putting this on, on my podcast, and anyone with half a brain and half a sack would agree, <clears throat> somebody, God forbid, touches your kid, you will do the most horrifying things to that person. Well, look at, this, look at this whole situation with the gymnast, right? Right. How did that man go months, months, like the FBI, the cops, everybody let it go for so long. And like, as a father, I'm sorry, I don't care. You come rest with, do whatever you want. There's no shot that that man goes the next, to work the next day. When not one, but what, 90 different kids or whatever it was I'm coming out, you have no chance. Yeah. I'm coming. You better hide. Like you, pre you're calling the cops. Yeah. I'll tell you that right now. You're calling the cops. That's the thing also. If I, you, know I, mean? You're I, being, I you need protection. The cops, if you call the cops on something like that, I'll never feel that satisfaction. Like going to jail for 70 years for life, I'm still going to always go to work the next day and be like, I need, like, I, you know what I'm yeah, saying? I, I would have been there. I mean, <laughs> I, I would, they would have never called the cops. I mean, and look, maybe it's, you want to say it's the wrong thing to do. You want to say whatever. I don't really care. Judge me as you wish. But I get you. I have four daughters. You put your hand on my daughter. And I'm kind of, the, the worst, you know, one of my ex that I have a child with, this guy tried one day to, to run his mouth and stop me from seeing my daughter, right? And I've made it very clear. Wait, so backtrack, I lost you. You, you said ex-wife? My ex, right? Okay, uh, okay. Not my ex-wife, but one of my ex, not before my wife. Okay, I have okay, a child okay. with. Okay, okay. But she was dating some guy and he was trying to play tough guy with me. And I, I remember confronting so, him. So the daughter, the daughter was dating a guy? No, no, no. My my daughter's mom was dating, was a, guy. dating a guy. Okay, and what did the guy do? And I for, I don't remember all the details because she did a lot of weirdos, but the guy was basically, in essence, trying to get involved in a custody battle situation and trying to basically tell me, well, you're not seeing your kid this weekend. And I confronted him. And I made was just a look in my eyes. I made very clear, look, the most dangerous place you could ever be in life is between a man and his daughter. Yeah. Don't ever put yourself there. My son, too. Listen, my son is my life. I'll, I'll kill for my son. You know, but... Girls have a certain, you know, vulnerability about them. And, uh, man, I just couldn't imagine. Like, if somebody touched one of my daughters when I found out, you know, I, and I do, there was a situation where I thought someone did and I overreacted. So, I, I just, I can't imagine how those parents were okay allowing him to go back to work every day and sending their kid back to gymnastics practice. This man was doing internal vaginal massages saying that it was part of their sports therapy, you know, and... <laughs> That's a whole other subject we can talk about. But anyway, man, long story short, 
It was a very interesting time. And the, 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 my last day in, I'm leaving. And I'll never forget T. Look, he's like, Hollywood, that was my nickname. He's like, Hollywood. I'm walking. I was like, I'm like, yo, what's up, T? He's like, don't ever forget. We let you survive in here. And I'll never forget that, man. Like, I'll never forget that. And, I, you know, the only time I had an issue where I wasn't there for the, for the months that I was, it was like eight months, something like that, or however many long, I remember right now. But I'll never forget the one time I had an, an issue. And it was with the only other time that somebody else came in. It was a Spanish dude that came in. And he, I guess he was trying to make a name for himself. So he wasn't going to fight anybody else in there. So he tried to fight me and it didn't work out for him well. Uh, and that was the end of it. But I never had another, I never had an issue. The months I spent, never had an issue whatsoever. It took me a long time to get a bond. I finally got Nobody out. Nobody tried to fight you. Nobody tried to hurt you. No. Do you think no. it was because of, because of Tyrone? Not just Tyrone, but my whole bunk, my whole house, right? Like, they all protected we, we, you. All, we, we had very specific rules. And you follow those rules and you, and you with respect. The only time that I, I actually was concerned is there were rumors going around about a, a race war, like a fight. And they were like, look, Shane, I can be sure that nobody in here or any of our people are going to come after you. But once you're in the yard, we can't protect you. You understand? And I'm like, no, I mean, I, I get it. Why, I understand. Is Why is that, though? Well, because there's rules. They have to follow those rules. You know what I mean? Like, you, you, that's just what it is. But um, it didn't end up not happening anyway. But that was the only time where they were like, look, we can only do so much for you. You know, but so basically, there were people, there were other white guys. They were probably the the uh, what do you call it, the Aryan Brotherhood and stuff like that. Did they have any of those? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, we're talking about county jail, not prison, right? But there were still cliques all over the place. But you only had an hour a day anyway. Did you have any of those? Did you have any neo Nazis? What's that? Did you have any neo Nazis? Um, you know what, man? If there was, there were few and far between. I didn't really see much. I mean, there was definitely like the, the you know the white crew. You know what I mean? But. They're, they're, they're kind of like masks. But we're talking about Dade County. And remember, we all went from the fifth floor. So I, I don't mind talking about that. It, it shaped me, you know, and it was um, a very interesting time in my life. Yeah, you know, so you were only out there for an hour a day when you got to go out. So you were in your house and, and that was it. That's who you were with, period. And, you know, I didn't have options to be part of another clique. So either I got along with these guys or my life was going to be fucking miserable. And uh, But like I said, man, like it was so interesting and I don't even know how it happened. That's why I know I was blessed because had I been to the house next to me, either which way, I mean, it was brutal. It was brutal, brutal, brutal. Every day, someone coming out completely bloodied up and beat up. I mean, it, every single day. I have a question about, about, about the, the, the grape thing. They, but supposedly, the algorithm, they don't like when you say the word. I didn't know that until recently. So they, people say grape. Okay. Um. Did you find that there was a certain kind of person that tended to to be the victim of that more, or was all kinds of people? No, man. It didn't matter how big, small, what your race was. I mean, this it, it just happened. What I, just know, I saw the biggest of big and the smallest of small. I saw people. You know, I could tell you a story. There was this one guy, and uh, in the cell next was the the house man was this Cuban guy, good dude, stand up. And again, like to be a house man, people have to respect you because you're running shit. Like this is the rules. Follow it or. I'm going to make something happen, right? So he was a Cuban guy. Another Cuban guy comes in. And then um, about a month later, uh, a younger kid comes in who is Cuban. So there's only three of them in there. There's 26 guys and three of them are Cuban. So they, they're supposed to be looking out for each other. So the older Cuban guy, I guess, gets paid by a couple of the other guys in the, in the pod to um, to rape this kid, right? He gets paid for it? Yeah. So at nighttime, I guess he had tied him down or something to held him down so these four or five dudes could come and, and, and Four dudes. Grape them, yeah. Fuck, bro. So, um, 
Long story short, the houseman's not there. He's out for the night, like the infirmary or something. I don't remember why he wasn't there, but he comes back, finds out what happens, gets in a fight, and the guy who who got paid pulls out a shank, a knife, to try to cut this guy. Now, if somebody gets cut, they shake that. There's a weapon involved. They shake down the whole you the whole, the whole house. I've actually, I they watch, look for everything. By the way, I watch a lot of prison documentaries. I'm very, yeah, so sorry. you just lose it. So now everybody's pissed off at you. So what do they do? They take a mattress. Everybody in the pod now gets in. They take a mattress and throw it out at this guy, get him down, take the knife. And now they may all agree that everybody's got to stab him. Everybody. Because nobody's getting locked up for stabbing, so you can't point fingers. And when they drug this man, the man came out alive. It wasn't like some big knife. He just got shanked, you know. And, uh, but he had all over his body, just holes. So they're pulling him out. And uh, I just remember, is, and again, I say I'm a kid because I was, bubbles popping on his chest right, with the blood because he had holes in it all over himself. And um, just brutal, just violence. It was crazy. And I was, I mean, I was one wall. And I always think to myself, I was, I was one wall away from that, right? And that's why I will always. If you were in there, bless. you would have been fucked. If you were, if, if you were in in that, you probably. Have. I, I don't. I don't think there's any way I would have gone out. I've had some kind of something violent. Yeah. Because I would have fought to the death. You know what I mean? I mean right. that's just reality. I would have fought to the death. I, I know. I, I was a hard-headed kid back then. I fought on a regular basis. I was not afraid to use my hands, and there was just no way. I mean, you know, it was it wasn't going to go down like that. Like you were going to have to hurt me severely. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, it was it was a very very rough time <laughs> that experience but you know what man it gave me gave me certainly appreciation for life and um and what it means to lose almost everything right and uh, i remember my mom and my grandmother coming to visit me behind that piece of glass and that was a very life-changing moment for me to see my mom and grandmother there with what i thought was going to be disappointment right and my, my grandmother, my mom was a single mom, so I spent many, many years and a lot of time with my grandmother. She was like my second mom, very close. And there was no disappointment. What I saw was fear and like compassion, right? They had fear that I was there. And I thought to myself like, wow. Like when you talk about what unconditional love is, this is it right here. Knowing I had done something wrong and they're here in a horrible place, you know what I mean, to come see me. And when I was got locked up in Jersey, my mother dropped everything. And, you know, I had siblings, left them, you know, with, the, with, with her dad and, and my family and left South Florida, came back to South Jersey and stayed there until I got out. Got a job on the boardwalk, I got a restaurant, did what she had to do and just stayed there until she knew I was out of jail, you know. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people in my life during those times that I think back to this day, I mean, Kenny Martin was a, a friend of mine and I had no money to get out. And I remember being on the phone and he doesn't even know this. This is probably something that I hope he hears one day, but he doesn't even know this. When I was in there, I was on the phone with him. Like I was calling all my friends, anybody, just to get a couple hundred dollars, just to add to my bond so I can get out of this place. You know what I mean? When I was in Jersey. And I'll never forget, this is a teenage kid we're talking about. I was... Um, probably 18 at the time, something like that, 19, whatever I was, you know, says to his parents, he's like, mom, he's the kind of guy that if he stays in, he's going to take the wrong path. But if he gets out, I know he can do the right thing. This was a, a friend of mine, you know what I mean? Who I haven't talked to in God knows how long at this point, And he actually became a cop, right? But they ended up, you know, lending my mom the money to get me out 
And it always bothered me because I can't find them to How this much day. was it? How much money was it? I mean, it was a few hundred bucks, you know what I mean, that I needed to, to add to the bond to get out. But it was those words that he said, like, that he knew. If I had stayed in, I would have been fucked for life. But if I got out, I had an opportunity to do the right thing. Like, he knew that about me. It was so weird to me. And his mom or dad ended up putting up the money, and I never got to thank them truly. Like, years later, I would have loved to come and say, look, you know, that decision you made for that few hundred dollars might have been, you know, nothing to you, right? But it was life-changing for me, and... You know, here are my kids and here's my family. But I never really had an opportunity to do that for them. But I know he, from what I hear, he ended up becoming a cop and, and whatnot. But yeah, that was, um, they don't even know how much they impacted my life that day by, by that one comment from, again, he was, he was probably 16, 18 years old at the time when that happened. So it's kind of crazy when you think about it. It's insane. That's an incredible story. Your friend pretty much saved your life. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I attribute a lot of things. I, you know, there are a lot of people in my life that over time have, you know, made an impact that don't re- didn't really realize what they were doing at the time for me. To them, it might have seemed like a very small act of kindness or concern or whatever, but it, it shaped me in a lot of ways, you know. So, but um, you know, when I was getting, I tell you what was interesting. When I was getting sentenced, my first offer was like fourteen years in federal prison. <laughs> I'm like. I'm gonna get out my mid thirties. Like, there's no way, you know what I mean? And we just kept going, and I ended up taking a deal. Now, thinking back now, how risky this deal was. I took ten years probation with an agreed minimum mandatory of forty years in prison, which means if I violated for any reason, forty years, right? By the way, that's also the, a huge challenge. Is like <laughs> once you get in there, <coughs> once you get in there, you have to be on such good behavior. Oh considering all the bullshit that happens and yeah. you, you don't want to be a pussy you want to protect yourself you want to do what needs to be done you want to be respected in the prison so there are certain things that you feel you might need to do and those things can put you can keep you you end up being a life in prison i mean if i was if i went in there for 14 years i would probably spend the rest of my life in there i mean i i, just, I would have had to defend there's myself too much, right man there's too much going on yeah. oh, but um i end up taking that deal 10 years probation so i didn't have to go to i didn't have to go to prison and but 40 year minimum mandatory and man, that was, I, w- I stopped smoking cigarettes. Like, I didn't do anything wrong. And I ended up getting off in five years and get off early. And, um, but you know, I did what I had to do to make money and took too, far too many risks, like looking back now while I was on probation. You know what I mean? But uh, I had kids. I had a kid at 18. I had another one at 23. So, um, you know, I was always working. I was in the restaurant business. I was a show tender for Bahamas. to flip bottles and all that fun shit. Uh, I had my own business on the side, and then I got into the title insurance business. And that was my big entrance into real wealth. I wouldn't call it wealth because I was I was spending it. You know what I mean? So I wasn't doing the right thing with it, but I was making enough to be considered wealth, right? But I was making real money, got into the mortgage business, and it was just a, I mean, we could sit there for days and talk about those years in the early 2000s. It was a different world, man. We had... We had 600 loan officers. I mean, it was absolutely insane. I was out partying every night of the week, recruiting new guys to come on board to work for me. We had a waiting list of people to work for me. I mean, it was insane. It was. I could tell you some stories that would blow your mind, but we have massive, like the event that I did at Topgolf that you came to, I used to do that back then, but it would turn into a party afterwards. So we ended up doing a nightclub. So I'd have three parties a week so what'd you in different nightclubs. Well, I ended up getting out of the industry in 2008. I went to loan modifications. I think I was actually the first company in Florida, maybe the country, Loan Modification Florida, to do loan mods. 
Then they changed the laws there. So I started doing foreclosure defense, started up building out law firms, whole fun story with that shit. And um, stayed, you know, lead generation, marketing, sales consulting, building out complete front end infrastructures for sales platforms. You clearly know how to build relationships. It's very clear. Yeah, I mean, that's that's sure. always been my thing, right, is right. the relationship aspect. I sold stocks in a room when I was 14 at one point in New York. And um, definitely not the most compliant thing that I've ever done in my life. But, uh, it's also not the least. It, certainly not. <laughs> but you know what? It was I got to learn sales from very hardcore individuals. But, you know, I I just always stayed a little bit ahead of the curve when it came to certain you know, industries, you know, where I saw it coming and I jumped in, made some money, moved out. I got into debt settlement stuff for a little while early on, got out of that before it became stupid. So, and then I got into the drug and alcohol rehab space and um, built up a charitable platform for that. And, you know, I had a, it, it's interesting, right? And I hope Dave Ehrenberg hears this because I started working with the Sober Home Task Force, helping out with a lot of stuff and trying to shape these new laws to help people that were screwing over these addicts. So I created a business model where I would vet out the treatment facility, right? On what service they offered, if they were real, if they, it was a real facility. Uh, and then I would speak with the consumer and match them with the proper facility through my digital marketing campaigns, right? Well, when they changed all these laws here in Florida, in essence, it became illegal. But I was getting thousands. We were helping thousands of people a day and one thing that was different from us is that we didn't hang up the phone when they said they didn't have insurance or money we still helped them find a place if they had no insurance if they had medicaid whatever we still gave them hope right and uh when they changed the laws it was just it was basically illegal to do what i was doing right and it wasn't fair but i had to stop the service which was helping so many people you know what i mean and, you know, you talk about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. They threw the baby out and kept the bathwater. You know, they kept a lot of bad people in this industry to this day. And, you know, it's sad. I mean, they did the best they can in fairness. But a lot of the, the really bad people that were in the industry made hundreds of millions of dollars. And to this day, never never saw no legal action whatsoever. But the little drug addict that, was, that got paid $5,000 by a facility, he ended up going to jail. Right or whatever nonsense. Well, that's a very repetitive story. I mean, a lot of the people with power know how to wiggle the way out. Yeah, of and look, not the, not the guy that was doing the patient brokering didn't deserve punishment. But what about the big guys? What about the guys that were running illegal marketing campaigns, filling five hundred beds a month? You know what I mean? That were making six figures a month. What about those guys? What about the guys that were hiding deaths at their facilities and renting out hotels and putting four people in a room that would have fit supposed to fit one? You know, none of those guys got any shit. You know, so. Again, that's a, we could talk on a whole podcast just on that industry, but I created this model and then the fuck jerk-offs at NATAP, and I say that because there are a bunch of jerk-offs. They did everything they could to, to tarnish my name because they didn't like what I was doing. They didn't like the service I was offering. They started creating relationships with companies that were just horrible what they did for marketing, letting everybody get screwed over, putting up fake pages of my business. My company was Better Addiction Care. They were putting up fake companies and their presentations on their national conventions right that they knew weren't mine they did no due diligence even the check saying that i was a fraudulent company it was a scam and whatever trying to ruin tarnish my name and uh it just became such a headache little did i know by the way i hope you ever hear this marvin ventrell i think his name is marvin ventrell real scumbag if you ever meet him knows nothing about treatment knows nothing about marketing and is in it for the money strictly i don't care what anybody says 
and that's a very controversial statement to say, but him and his crew did everything they possibly could to get me out of the business. I hope I'm saying his name right. I'm actually going to check before. Uh, if not, we're going to... Put him on blast on yeah. semantics, baby. You know what? I tell you what, while we're sitting here, let's just make sure I'm not saying the wrong name because if I'm not, I want to make sure I say the proper name, but I'm pretty sure that was it. But uh, yeah, so... Going, they, going, up, going up on TikTok. Exactly. Marvin Ventrell, that's it. Yep. National Association of Addiction Treatment Providers. He's a CEO, and he is the worst person in the industry by far. He literally put people like Dreamscape on board, and I hope you guys hear this Dreamscape too. You're a fraud. Everyone knows it. You can't help anybody, so just stop and push people like me out of the industry because I was providing a service to the consumer. So I didn't give a shit about the treatment facilities. Respectfully, for those of you I work with, they know how I felt. I came, are you providing real treatment? Great. They're my client. They're the, they're the ones that have to be taken care of. So I would make sure they were finding the treatment that they needed for their best interest. And the National Association for Treatment Providers did not like that because they were an advocate for the treatment providers, not the actual addict. And I could, again, I could talk about that for, for days on end and what they did and how shady they did it with LegitScript, with Google, and how they screwed over so many facilities. It was, it was pretty rough, man, pretty rough. But I became the most hated man in the industry for sure. And I was helping more people than anyone else. We had 2,600 helplines. We were getting three, 4,000 phone calls a day of people looking for help. But we also published every NA, every AA meeting, anything and everything there was for a resource. Every facility in the country was, was listed with their contact information. You know, and then we had a helpline they could call in if they needed help. And uh, you know, they did everything they could to get me out of the business. So. Wow, okay, so how did you, how did you? So how did I come back to real estate, right? The, well, how'd you get through the fuckery and how'd you move, transition into, yeah. So no one, I just didn't give a shit. And I just kept, you know, I, I had to stop doing what I was doing for the patients. And I, I couldn't provide that service anymore legally. And I wasn't charging them. You just paid me an advertising fee every month. And you, if the clients came to you, they came to you. You had the choice of three different facilities. Here's the ones that meet your needs. Take, take a pick. You know what I mean? So that's how we did it. But anyway, the pandemic hit. Things changed. A lot of facilities went out of business or were completely full. Not much need for me to build big brands. And at that time, I was doing a lot of stuff in the stock market. Um, and I was working for several other companies as well, like large companies. When the pandemic hit... <clears throat> I started focusing more on my modeling agency and managing the influencers and models I was working with. So we did well with that, and uh, I just had a lot of free time. So a friend of mine, Juan, had opened up Peak Title Florida, which was an extension of Peak Title in Michigan. They've been around for, for many years. He's like, hey, I'm doing this. Please get involved. And I'm like, man, I just, I don't have the time. There's a lot of work, you know, being out, networking, doing the events again, so much. So for about two and a half years, he was trying to convince me to get back in the business. And so I finally said yes. So <clears throat> I came back in the industry and I do a lot of other stuff with real estate. I do a lot of stuff with distressed properties and how I buy them. But, um, you know, just got back involved and said, all right, you want to be the, the number one title company in the state of Florida? Let's go. Otherwise, I don't want to talk to you. And he's like, what is it going to take? Then we, you know, we did our first event. We had 70 people show up to the first event. We, um, the second event was about the same, 50 to 60 people, a little bit of rain we were doing out, outdoors, so a little damper. And then our third event was a Top Golf. We had 248 register and um, only 35 no-shows. So a very successful event. And our events are, are unlike others where when you come to my event, you know, I, I wasn't pounding you to give me all your business. Here's who I am. Here's what I do. One of my girls is going to reach out next week. 
We'll sit down. We'll talk business then. Tonight, have fun. Enjoy yourself. Let's get to know each other a little bit. Meet some other people. Network. Build some relationships. And let's let's go. Let's make it happen. And uh, people love that because nobody's doing that anymore, right? Have fun at the event. We'll talk business next week. Let's build a relationship. And what I find interesting about title companies, if me and you met, let's say a friend introduced us, and I said, Rafi, let's you know, let's go grab a drink on me, All right? Okay, no problem. Next time, you might call me and say, Shane, let's go grab a drink on me. The relationship is reciprocal. Title company is like, gimme, gimme, gimme. Well, and what, I'll take you to a happy hour now and again? No, where's the reciprocal relationship? What can I do to help your business grow as well? So that's why I kind of stayed more as a third party. And um, a lot of title companies don't have the resources we have. So for example, let's say you want to run a marketing campaign. And as a, as a marketing company, it only cost me 10 bucks to generate a lead. I might sell a lead for $100. I might sell it for 50 bucks, but to 10 people. Well, there's no law that says, in RESPA that says, I have to profit. It just says I can't give you something of value. So hey, typically it might cost you 100 bucks, but it only cost me $10. It's $10. You know what I mean? And uh, we talk about, oh, we help, we participate in open houses, different marketing. We do the events specifically for realtors. So I mean, I can unpack a lot of that stuff as well. I don't want to pitch too much about my, my title services. But Go ahead, man. Go ahead and pitch all you want, brother. Yeah, but we, uh, we really have um, an out-of-the-box, make-it-happen mentality. Any service that a, a title company provides, we're going to do at least as good, if not better. Done. No one's going to outwork us, period. That's, that's my mentality. But what else can we do now? Where's the actual relationship? Why are you still going to be doing business with me in five years from now, right? Not because I took you to a happy hour to the Topgolf event. Where is the relationship? And that's what we look to build. And that's what I look to build. And every business I do, you know, a lot of people do the events and um, they want to meet girls or they want to, you know, build their social circle, grow their Instagram followings. I'm looking to build a relationship that we both can monetize and eat off. How do we make that happen? So that's us, man. That's how we, that's where we are today. And of course, I, I you know, Left out a lot of details on a lot of little interesting things. But um, now, you know, we have the title insurance company. I do a lot of stuff in distressed property. I broker a lot of uh, a lot of really big investment deals. If you're looking to spend at least $2 million or more in investment properties, I have portfolios for you guys to get into. Um, <clears throat> some HOA stuff that we buy, HOA liens. We do a lot of um, debt portfolios that we purchase. So there's a lot of stuff in that in that world that we we delve into as well, right? So yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot to unpack. But as you know, I'm a realtor, mm-hmm. so hopefully we can work things out you know, as time goes on. I'd like that you mentioned the whole the whole Northeast mentality versus the Florida mentality, yeah. and the idea that things are less competitive when you have that sickening work ethic. Absolutely, that's something that I really took from the beginning of the episode. And now that I'm kind of bringing it back, I find that to be so fucking true, so true. And I'm and I'm I haven't I'm still on the in the earlier stages of my career. I'm less mm-hmm. than two years in, but I grew up in New York, and I still have that attitude. Yeah, you want to be number one. Yeah, dude. It's like isn't that wasn't that the difference though? Like if you work in an office in New York, everybody's fighting to be number one. Down here, you have a small piece of people that want to be number one. Everyone wants to get by, pay their bills, pop a bottle on the weekends. And start back and work on Monday. But they all act like they're wealthier than the guys in New York. Absolutely. It's it's such an (laughs) act here, man. And you know what I attribute it to, if you really think about it? South Florida was a retirement area for a very long time. So you had the grandparents come down here to retire with their kids. The kids grew up, had kids, and did this nice, cush 
life. There was no hustle. There was no drive. And you know, now that we have, we're getting a lot more diverse, there is a lot more work ethic now than there was 20 years ago. But when I was in my 20s, everyone was, I mean, we were hustling. We Everybody wanted to make that money. Yeah. Now it's like you're just content. Like, well, my bills are four thousand. You know, if I can make like forty five hundred or five grand a month, like I'm good. Are you really? Are you really? I two, bro. I want to add two three zeros to that. But it's like, well, why are you in the club popping a bottle? It's crazy, dude. <laughs> it's crazy. I have never, I have never been the one to get a table. I've maybe, I've maybe been at three tables in my entire life, and I have never initiated the table. Meaning, like I, on my accord. I will never do it. I'm always at if, the table. I, I can't go to the bar at a club, man. But the thing is, I don't go to clubs, truthfully. If I get some massive real estate transaction closed, it's a consideration, maybe with a few colleagues. A little celebration. I don't really, but I'm also, I, I used to go clubbing a lot more when I was when I was in my late teens, early 20s, because there were these teen nights, yeah. and then I would go in my early 20s. I would much more likely go to a club if I was already dating somebody, if I was married. I enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. It's just that it's not what it's. It's not what gets me going, man. I want to get shit done. I get See, I, I didn't go section. much in my early twenties because um, I was either getting in trouble or making money. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but um, once I had the money, oh man, I could tell you some most ridiculous nights ever that we went to clubs and, and the kind of shit that we did with, with the guy I worked with back then. But um, a lot of good times, man. A lot of really good times. A lot of. Um, life-changing experiences for a lot of the people we hung out with man but yeah it was my mid-20s to late 20s was a crazy time you definitely make some and i owned a couple nightclubs too oh really yeah i owned a, a roma lounge in hollywood that i owned um <clears throat> china white and jet set how old were you at, the, at that time i was in my late 20s you know well actually no my last club i sold yeah 2008 i sold my last nightclub I actually met my now ex-wife at my nightclub there. She was 19, I was 29. And you can't, you can't own a nightclub and, and be in a relationship. So, um, you know, I thought that was going to be forever. And so, sold the club and went on to, you know, other industries. But it was very interesting. Very interesting. Wild. It's, it's an interesting thing being in the nightclub scene, the nightlife scene in general. It's a whole different world. It is, and you really have to know what you're doing. And here's one of the things that I did. One of the smartest decisions I made uh, in the nightclub business is um, there was a hurricane that came and, and destroyed one of the popular gay bars that was around. I think it was called the Copa. So they like their good nights were just gone. So I'm like, well, I'm going to convert my nightclub into a gay club. And it was like, are you crazy? Like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, think about the economics of it, right? Women in free, women drink free to this time, that, all this other shit. Women, I mean, it's, I've never then, been to a gay club, but I'm a, the women love it going there. Well, yeah, but, but they also pay, right? So a normal club, you know, you let women in free till 12, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, whatever. Free drinks till midnight to try to get girls to come in. <clears throat> and guys come in to spend money to impress women, for the most part. With a gay club, nobody's in for free. Nobody drinks for free. And guys are spending money to impress guys who are also spending money to impress guys. Right, and women would. Fl- I mean, the most beautiful women in South Florida would would show up to the I club. No shot. Yeah, it was no, unbelievable. No surprise. What, what was really? And I had drag queens everywhere. Daisy Dead Petals, TP Lords. If you guys ever hear this, I love you guys. They were just amazing people. But um, it was such a. Cr- and everybody told me you'd fit. What do you? You know nothing about the community. And there's a. I well, I know they're human beings, and they want to be treated right. So what, what do I need to know about them? I don't care what they do when they go home. And um, we just created amazing nights. And had a great time, made a lot of money, and uh, 
what I always thought was funny is that the groups of girls would be outside in line because we always had a line outside. The groups of girls would be in line to come in and the guys would run like, well, we got to go here. This is a spot. Look at all these girls, bad girls in line, ready to go. So they get in line, they come in, they walk in and then there's, you know, there's a, a, a grown ass man on a stripper pole with no shirt on. He's like, uh, what did we just do wrong here? Like, what, what am I missing? <laughs> it was hysterical. So me and some of the drag queens would hang out and watch the people come in and, and see how quick they ran out the other side. It was, it was so funny, man. I had a lot of good times there. I remember having that, actually. I went out. I went out when I was in the Army. I, I went out one night. There was a girl I was hanging out with, and uh, we, we were waiting outside a club. It ended up being gay, so I didn't go in. And I, and I'm, I have no issue. I have gay friends. Well, that's a classic statement. Classic cliche statement. Classic there you go, yeah. fucking cliche statement. <laughs> It's a classic. I know. Right? Roast, roast me. Yep. There goes your comment section. Right, right there. there we go. There's I, your TikTok. That's what I want. I want that though. They give me, give me the shit. Um, so, it, look, so it's a different environment. It's not for everyone. You know no, what I mean? But we didn't go in. We didn't. I didn't go in, and I still remember I, I was smoking a cigarette, and she was smoking a cigarette, and she she trips, and I catch her as I'm smoking a cigarette. I catch her on my arm, and I just throw her back on. It was just a nice, smooth. I just remember that it was a nice experience. In terms of in terms of a gay bar, I would go into one if I was with a girl. I don't really care. Wouldn't be my first choice, but like I don't care. Yeah, I've, I'm far far from a homophobe. I don't give a shit. Well, I will tell you what, you learn you you learn how aggressive men actually are. Oh, so, there's no surprise. You, you know what I mean? Like you go in and everybody's trying to hit on you. So it is. Um, it's there's no. It was games it was it was interesting. There are no games in the gay yeah. community. It's just dude and dude. Two guys with a male brain. There's no, you know. Yeah, it, it was it was a it was a very interesting time. Always had a, a a blast. Never had real issues, right? When I had my like normal was club, there, were there fights? Not really, man. Not really. I mean, when I had my normal club, there was a fucking fight every night. Oh, for sure. But they just wanted to have a good time. They just wanted to be treated right, have a good time, you know. And um, I never really had a lot of problems at all, ever. The only time I had problems when people would come in and they didn't realize it was a gay club. And somebody would hit on them or something, and they'd act like assholes, and we'd have to throw them out. But that was really it. I mean, and I actually became good I mean, friends on, with like a lot it's of the. Pretty fucking evident if there's a, a half naked guy on a pole, and you're walking in as a straight guy. If somebody hits on you, you're an idiot if you get upset about but it. But here's the thing: second of all, if a, if a gay dude hits on me, I, if anything, I take it as a compliment. I went to a I went to a, a real estate a, network, um, a real estate after party a couple of months back. And this gay dude came over to me. He was hitting on me. I told him, I'm like, hey, man, you know, I was really cool with him, friendly. And I said, hey, I don't, I don't play for the same team, but let's do Let's have a drink. Let's chill, hang out. One thing I love about gay dudes is they always try to wing me. Like the, anytime, <laughs> anytime they know a girl yeah. they think is cute or they think we would. Oh, no, you got to be my friend. You got to be my friend. They love it. They love setting yeah. you up with women. They love it. It's great. Yeah, I um, like I said, it was amazing. I mean, you know, Daisy and, and TP would, you know, Daisy specifically would, would come over my house on the weekend hour there and, you know, for like a barbecue and, and she would talk about her skits the coming week. So I don't know if she actually wanted to hang out because she loved the barbecue because it gave her something interesting to talk about when she did her drag show at, at Voodoo Lounge. But we had, a, we had a blast, man. I had a great time and I ended up selling it to um, a gay couple and a gay promoter named, I hope gay is not a bad word to be using these days. I don't know. I don't know. If, <clears throat> if it is, it's not meant to be offensive. Everybody bro, knows I love 20, you. Guys, so. It's 2022. Yeah. But it was a guy named Gary Santos. And uh, I remember selling it to him and the two investors he had coming in. And I said, just don't change what we're doing. We have lesbian night. I hope, again, I hope that's not a, 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 a politically incorrect term to use these oh, days. Dude, but you can use gay and lesbian. You, just, you, can't, <clears throat> who knows? you can't use the F word. Yeah, okay. That used to be thrown out movies all the time. Yeah, but no, I don't say that. We had the lesbian night on Wednesday night, and then we had Friday, Saturday night. And then Sunday, we did coin, we kind of coincided with Voodoo Lounge. I'm sorry, no. 
Wednesday night and Sunday night, we coincided with Voodoo Lounge for uh, a party. Friday night or Thursday, night, I remember exactly which night it was. We did the lesbian night, and then your typical weekends were, were busy. But um, I just told like, don't change anything that we're doing right now, and you're going to be wildly successful. And they changed everything we were doing, and we're out of business in six months. So that was interesting. But what are you going to do? I hear you. I hear you. So you, you've been a man of all trades. I have. Excuse me. I have worked we're in. Not, we're um, not editing that burp out. That was, good was that, that one staying in there? That, stay that was the bourbon, just so you know. Um, Call you Santa Crook. I've. Uh, <laughs> I have been in. I mean, I have done. I could sit here and talk about so many odd jobs I did as a kid to make. I did roofing down here in South Florida in August, which was like brutal. You know, I remember working with these Colombian guys, and God rest his soul, my cousin's father, William Escobar, that was his real name, <laughs> Billy Escobar, Billy. And um, raging alcoholic, sweetest guy ever. And we would be on top of these roofs, mopping tar. They're drinking beer and smoking weed. I'm like, bro, how you how are you alive right now? It was crazy. But I, I could tell you so many jobs I did. You know, I, I have so many sales positions that I've had, and companies I work for, consulting. I mean, I just I love to build new things. I love to learn new things. I love to get involved. And I think what what really has kept my success going on is my ability to adapt, but my ability to understand and turn the dial. So when I started producing leads, I started getting complaints. And I'm thinking, so I'm selling you a lead that you asked for with the exact qualifications, exclusive, and you can't close them. Why not? So then I start offering a free service. I'm going to listen to a hundred of your phone calls and tell you what you guys are doing right or wrong. Then I would figure it out. Well, let me, let me write a script for you. Okay, let me create a training seminar for new hires that you bring in. Well, you don't have a, well, you don't have your own CRM. How are you tracking your leads? This is, this is all the leads you're losing because you're not following up. What about your phone system? You don't record your phone calls, you have quality control. So here's a call system that you can utilize. And it just became, I just started, well, hey, you need to build a business? I will create the entire front end from the ad that they see to the moment it closes, whatever industry it is. And uh, that's... That's where, you know, what has brought me through all these years because it didn't matter what the industry was in, I could figure it out. And sales are sales, right? Marketing is marketing. If you understand marketing and sales and how the two coincide, it's a no-brainer. So I hear you. It's been fun. Absolutely. No, that's, that's awesome. I, I see you also, you have a very intense mentality. So anything you go into, you go very, very far into. I do not like losing, man. I, look, Somebody said to me one day, and maybe it was a quote somewhere, I don't remember where I heard it, but if someone else can do it, you have to be at least able to do it as good, if not better. And I've always except believed for, that. Except for Elon Musk, man. Yeah, that well, man. that man is not human. I mean, Elon he's, Musk he's is just... He's an absolute alien. I can't, even, I can't even understand that kind of intelligence. You know what's interesting about Elon, right? You look back over the years and you have your Einsteins, and, and, and these people have, through you know, decades have made such an impact that you're just never going to forget. And a lot of people don't realize like you're witnessing, like just like the people that were around when Einstein was here, they didn't realize he was just Albert Einstein, like whatever. He's a smart guy. He's doing these things. But here we are all these years later, still talking about Albert Einstein. Elon Musk is one of those people, one of those innovators that has such an intellect that sees things for what they are and is able to innovate and change. And I think he's very underrated. As much as he has such a big following, he still has so many haters. And you know, you're always going to have haters if you're doing something good in life. We always talk about that. Who hated Albert Einstein? 
They might have had a lot of haters back then when he was alive, but not now. So well, I if think he was on social media, oh, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, if he forget was on social media, they'd be back... ripping him a new one. Yeah, e what e- equals what? They'd be ripping him a new one. They'd be so, making fun of his hair, his face, his uh, you name it. Who knows? So we're we're witnessing another another that another unbelievable mind in our time, and it's just it really should tr- be truly appreciated for what it actually is. Oh, he'll go down in history books for for forever. You know what's crazy to me? The crazy thing to me is you have men like him that change the world. He alone changes the trajectory of the planet. Absolutely, for billions of people. And then there are people that live their lives thinking they have no impact and sit eating Mike and Ike's off their stomach watching Netflix. And it's like, do you understand that there's another human being, forget about the money he has, that is looking, he is looking, figure figure he's looking at the, from the 80th floor of a building. Yeah. How he can add tunnels to, to relieve traffic. He can try to come up with these brilliant ways to go to space. He may he, He's looking to create life on Mars. He's thinking of all of these ridiculously innovative concepts while other men are useless. And to Completely me, it's like... U- and not only are they useless, but they then complain. They bitch about it, yeah. You know, the, the one thing I, I, that drives me crazy is the hypocrisy with that, right? Where you're hating on Elon or you're hating on whoever, and not to get into politics or shit like that, but... You're, you're pointing fingers and why aren't you doing this? Why isn't our president doing that? Why isn't our governor doing this? Well, what what are you doing? Well, you, you can't change the world by yourself. You could yeah, start. You, you could. You could do something, oh, yes, right? You, you want to complain about illegal immigrants? Well, let them move in. Have somebody move into your house. I'm going to say shit right? on this podcast. I'm telling you right now, and it's a cocky statement, but I'm going to tell you right now that at some point on this podcast, I'm going to say something that's revolutionary and people are going to say, whoa, I know that. And they're going to hate you for it. I don't care. I don't give two shits. But <laughs> it's interesting though, right? Like that same guy sitting there eating that fucking Mike and Ike watching Netflix will be the one complaining about an individual that's doing amazing it's always things. always how it works. You yeah. have some, some incel 34-year-old who's, who's still a virgin, who hasn't done anything productive, who hasn't gone after any of the things they wanted to go after, who's had the same crappy accounting job. And I always shit on, I always shit on accountants. We need you guys, but it's like... I know. It's <laughs> I just feel like none of them are actually happy. Unless they're a CPA that, you know, they're working for a big firm. Some people like it. I just find it to be so mundane. But uh, like yeah. every accountant I know, every friend I know that's, that was in accounting has not liked it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, like I don't, I've only known one person was a girl that really wanted to be an accountant. She just loved math and loved numbers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she, you know, she works at Hooters now, but <laughs> that's a true story. How the hell did she transition? <clears throat> and it's like, what makes you want to be an accountant? Like, I love math. So I was always good at math, but I'll count my money. Like, you want to be an accountant? That's, I don't know how they do it. And listen, my accountant, I love her to death. Her name's Patty. Love her to death. But I don't know how she does it, man. Yeah, I don't know how they do it. I'm and she's happy because I pay her well. So yeah, math is not my <laughs> math isn't my thing. I I'm better at it, but my grandmother was terrible at it. The thing I yeah. got from her was speech, language, writing, reading. I've since from a young I, I 
spelling bees. I killed spelling bees since I was a little kid. That was my weak point. I used to kick ass at them. And I wasn't the A student. I did fairly well in school. Decent. But you liked the competitive nature but, of it most likely. Oh, I was very competitive, but yeah. spelling bees specifically, I kicked ass. Like I was always, I always be. And there's this, there was this one nerd that used to, he, he ran out of the room crying. And fourth grade, I spelled, I won with encyclopedia. <laughs> Fucking most guys my age in America can't even spell that. So I was always good with that. She gave me that. She gave me that skill. So that's always that's and interesting. I use it for the podcast in terms of. Well, I mean, you can articulate. Well, no, articulate. Look, listen to me. As I'm saying, <laughs> articulate. I'm, I'm fucking up. Um, you can articulate yourself well, and, and people respect that, and, and for sure, it's it draws in attention. You know, definitely. But, uh, you know, I actually had this conversation today. I don't know if I want to bring this up. I don't know how how controversial like your podcast be, but somebody called me about. Uh, I get a lot of phone calls because I'm not afraid to speak on controversial subjects and I'm not afraid to say hi, I think. So he called me up about gun laws, right? Of course, everything that recently happened in, in Texas, either one of my opinion on gun laws and all that kind of stuff. But one thing I said, well, how about people stop talking and take action, right? And they were blaming the Republican Party on not changing the law, not agreeing with this new legislation in Congress or whatever the bullshit was. Like, okay, so why don't the governors do something? Why don't the governors do something? If you're so up in arms about these things that you can change, as a governor, you can make certain changes. Like, it happened here in Florida. A Republican governor made changes, and they added red, you know, red, um, red flag laws. And whether I agree with it or not, right, they did these things. They took some action. So instead of crying to people, why don't you just go to your governor and say, hey, you're a Democratic governor, and you say it's a Republican's fault? Great. So do what you say you should do in your own state. And go from there, right? It goes back to that people like to point fingers and blame and, oh, why aren't you doing this, right? Why, why isn't this big corporation going green? Well, why are you driving a gas car, right? Like, where is the, when does the hypocrisy end in this country? I try my best to say things that I know enough about. You know, obviously, we're human. There are certain things I'm going to say that are, are incorrect. But, uh, you know, that's the story. So, yeah. So, Shane, this has been a hell of an episode, man. Thank you for joining. Yeah, absolutely. I really like the, the earlier part of it where you talked about your, your jail experience was, was, was really something. Really uh, a, a spicy part of the episode. <laughs> so, yeah, man, pleasure talking. Really getting to, to know you on, on a more personal level. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, man. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. And, uh, you know, I look forward to, to continuing to get to know each other and connect and do business together. I appreciate it, man. If you guys want to check me out, you can follow me at Shane Santa Croce. I don't know if you can put it in the I'm description or not. It all. I'm going to post it I'm going to post the actual Instagram and, and the actual All right, great. Ones. And, uh, you know, my next thing, I would love to have you on my podcast. We'll be, we'll be going live soon here. I think to. we've already got like five or ten uh, episodes on the can, but I love what you bring out, and we talk about all kinds of things, too. Um, my next one's going to be focused on real estate, investing, and advice to give to people. So if you want to come on, it'd be great. I would be more than happy to. I would love to. I, right, great. My, my background story is a good one. Guys. Make sure to check out Shane's social media. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Don't go to jail. Stay out of jail. <laughs> Stay in school. I don't know if you should go to college. It depends. Next Subs podcast. <laughs> Subscribe. Smash the like button. Leave your comments. Leave your hate, your hate comments. Whatever makes you happy. This has been another episode of Soothing Semantics. And I look forward to having you watch the next episode. Peace.